Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of Advisory Advantage, the podcast for accountants and business advisors who want to learn in practical, relevant ways how to market, sell, and deliver more business advisory services and financial advisory services to their clients. I'm MC Carter, founder of Practice Paradox, a global digital marketing agency for accountants, and I'm uh, willingly aided and abetted today by my good friend across the ditch. Thanks, MC. Yeah, Richard Francis, CEO of Spotlight Reporting and advisor accountant uh, for the last couple of decades before I did that. So, um, yeah, really looking forward to this series that we're bringing out to you all. Delighted to have Chris Hooper here as our very first guest. Uh, Chris won't need much of an intro to many of you. Uh, CEO of a Codex, he's very popular on social. Um, but I am going to get Chris to kick off with, tell us about a Codex and, and, and um, how that's kind of the pivot for your whole journey. Uh, so a Codex is a global network of, I, I call it angry young accountants. So we've got <laughs> uh, offices in uh, Adelaide, well, Adelaide, Australia, uh, the United Kingdom, uh, North America and the Philippines as well. Um, we were global from day one um, in, in my perspective. Uh, and yeah, it's growing at an astronomical uh, breakneck rate. Uh, and yeah, it's been a, a fun ride to date. So, mate, you, you mentioned, I mentioned that you're a CEO, but you, you call yourself an accounting futurist. What yep. the hell does that mean? Talk us Look, through it. That came by virtue of me really getting lucky in the cloud accounting space um, like six, seven years ago. In fact, for posterity purposes, like for whatever reason, something compelled me at 4 a.m. in the morning you know, six or seven years ago to post on Facebook, like, you know, zero is the future of accounting, you know, and you know how you get those reminders every single year, this, you know, this time seven yeah. years ago, popped up. Um, and, you know, I had a, a small accounting practice with a, a mate of mine from uh, high school. Um, and we, one of the most critical decisions was, you know, which, which accounting suite do we use? Right. Mm. Um, and, you know, we'd made the decision to go with MYOB, um, which is the natural decision at the time. But, you know, I was talking to this, you know, sketchy Kiwi mob uh, back in the day um, who were just super excited about the product. Um, I don't know if you guys remember Zero back then, but it wasn't much to talk about. But the thing that really hooked me and compelled me to wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning, um, you know, just knowing this, um, was really like the bank fees and the, the their whole single ledger, like, uh, you know, theory. Um, and I went, you know what, like if these guys, because it, it may not have been them, but it's like this is where accounting is heading. And sort of four years into that practice, I realized from a, a business perspective that if I can consistently predict the future of the accounting profession and build a business around, you know, uh, you know, my assertions there that I can really future-proof my, uh, my business. Um, and that's kind of where a codex got spun out is based on, you know, this huge, uh, you know, hypothesis and assumption that the old traditional partnership model of accounting practices is, is a thing of the past. And, you know, I've staked my entire business around that. So your business model, um, you're innovating at that level, a very fundamental level for your business. What shifts in terms of being an accounting profession futurist, what are the main shifts that you see coming for, apart from the business structure, the business model in that respect? What other shifts do you see on the, on the horizon? And I ask that framed up with, I think a lot of accountants um, 
are tired of hearing about certain shifts that vendors have been talking about for the last 20, 30 years. Yeah. So with you being, you know, uh, at the coalface, what are you seeing on the horizon for, like, for reality? You know, the number one that's still being talked about today is like cloud. In my opinion, it's been done, it's dusted, we have to, to move on, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, a codex was pr predicated around an assumption that, you know, these angry young accountants, you know, millennial generation, um, don't want to buy into established practices um, and that they want more of a work-life balance than uh, has previously been on offer uh, in the uh, accounting world. Um, so that's that's a big one. Um, you know, something that's been ongoing for about 20 years is the, like, the overwhelming, like, the gravitational pull uh, insofar as, like, uh, offshoring um, and uh, cost shifting is concerned. Um, you know, and that's really been uh, opened up by a virtue of cloud technology because there was a huge barrier to entry um, to moving to, to low-cost uh, countries uh, such as India, Philippines, Vietnam, et cetera, et cetera. 20 years ago because we needed physical offices with, you know, server infrastructure and all of that sort of stuff. Um, you know, cloud has basically acted as a catalyst for um, that, that offshoring piece. I know, you know, one person firms that have a, a team overseas and they have no intentions of hiring anyone domestically. And I think that's just a sign of the times, um, you know, coming back to the technology piece, there's obviously a lot of conversation about, uh, you know, automation and artificial intelligence and machine learning and that sort of stuff. I think that's going to take a lot more, a lot longer to kind of mature in the accounting uh, profession, particularly because we're still stuck on this cloud conversation. Um, but we fully acknowledge that, you know, machine learning is going to be an important part um, of, of our business. And we've kind of just, uh, we're, we're taking the wait and see and we're just always looking on the horizon um, with respect to that one. Another huge uh, consideration is the implications of blockchain, uh, blockchain technology on the global sort of financial um, uh, industry. Um, again, it's too soon to tell the implications of that, but, you know, our position at the Codex is that the implications are going to be enormous. Um, and uh, the other one is really about, uh, and Richard will like this one, uh, is about data visualization. Um, and I suppose um, intelligent insights or business intelligence, which is really uh, pivotal um, to a codex's uh, like mission and, uh, and purpose, <coughs> is about democratizing business intelligence uh, for businesses globally. Um, and that is, you know, the first part is about visualization. And then the second part is about that advisory piece in terms of, okay, here's a, here's a pretty chart, but here's what it means in context, right? Um, and that I think mm -hmm. is going to be, you know, paramount to the accounting profession in the, in the nearer term. Mate, I was, I was getting a little bit scratchy until you mentioned that last one. Uh, <laughs> AI, blockchain, uh, all, you know, all of that machine learning, we'll come back to that because um, yeah. technology is, is key to so much that we're doing. But one, one thing I pick up, and, and you know, it gets under my skin a bit, so I want you to, to delve into this, is accountants talk a lot about the technology. They talk about zero, and you, you, know, you know our history with zero as well. And yep. all beautiful stuff, all really good enablers. But at the end of the day, are we giving the customers better service? Are we giving them goals to uh, to strive for and really great outcomes? So, what I love hearing, and I want to, I want you to pick this up and run with it, is how's all of that cool stuff that excites you and gets you out of bed in the morning? How's that actually changing anything for your customers? 
Um, so I'll rewind a little bit for some context in a, a career perspective. Um, prior to starting my practice seven years ago, I was working at a publicly listed company as a finance analyst. Um, and there were probably 10 plus of me, you know, globally. Um, it was a 20,000 person company. Um, and my job was basically to query the general ledger. Um, you know, it was some 80s DOS-based software. Uh, query the general ledger, go get coffee, come back, CSV and be ready. Chop silly that up into Excel nice. and produce meaningful intelligence for management team and the, the board of directors. Um, and there were, you know, uh, a whole bunch of us working globally doing all of that. Um, but, I mean, the intelligence of the back end was... was top notch and the, the board and management team needed that so that they could make informed decisions about what to do with the business, right? Um, but you can appreciate the cost of that would be in the, the millions to actually produce that intelligence. And, you know, I roll out into practice um, and this is really just at the, you know, the infancy of, uh, you know, cloud, cloud accounting and uh, um, business intelligence. And there were a few uh, players in the market, yourself included. Um, and what I realised is that, you know, if we got, you know, the data plumbing right, um, we could basically produce the same level and quality of business intelligence that I was producing for a publicly listed company um, in like one one thousandth of the time and by virtue of that one one thousandth of the cost. And that's what I mean when I talk about democratisation of business intelligence yeah. is that this intelligence that was historically reserved for humongous public companies is now accessible to, you know, your mum and dad bakery down the road, um, you know, at, at, a, at a reasonable price. And I realised, um, you know, back then that the implications of that from a small business perspective were, were insanely profound. Um, and, yeah, I suppose that's really what's at the driving force behind, uh, you know, what we're doing. They, they still need a, an advisor and an accountant, though, that grasps that technology and uses it for the greater good. Absolutely. So, and, and this is, you know, um, how do you sell it to them? How do you market it? Some of the stuff that MC coaches on. What, what's the difference between you and a codex? And, and look, there are lots of good firms out there doing this, but the firms who have at their fingertips the zeros, the spotlights, the receipt bank, other tools, but still don't really deploy them Yep. And anger. So, like, What's I would probably you? start just by saying if you send your customer, you know, uh, a report once a month without any communication around it, chances are they won't read it or it won't add value and they'll probably stop paying you pretty, pretty quickly. Yep. Um, and yeah, so like that's it needs to come with that advice and that context. Um, mm -hmm. And this is where accountants can actually add a ton of uh, a ton of value. And I think the interesting thing as well is when you talk to your average accountant on the street that's been working for five or 10 years about what their expectations of the profession were when they first signed up for university and, you know, ticked the accounting box at high school, what did you think this job was going to look like? And I can absolutely tell you that it was not, you know, putting numbers in boxes into tax returns and, you know, double handling data. It was sitting down with the clients, going through this this business intelligence and building plans around that that's mm. what they wanted to be doing in the first place um in terms of how we actually approach this from a client perspective um it's really just a matter of actually asking the right questions so i say at a codex that uh, accountants are like you know as a profession as individuals are notorious order takers um so it's kind of like 
client rocks up and says, hey, I need a tax return and a set of financial statements, you know, and the accountant basically turns around and goes, here you go, done, right? So mm -hmm. basically giving the client what they ask for. But the problem is because accounting is... Uh, you know, a, a vague and mysterious profession, the client doesn't know what they don't know, right? Mm -hmm. um, so simply by, and I, I use this analogy um, that in the codex that prescription without diagnosis is malpractice, right? Mm -hmm. So I liken that client coming in um, and asking for a set of tax returns and financial statements um, mm -hmm. as malpractice, right? Because if you went into your doctor today, either of you, and, um, you know, ask for a prescription of Vicodin and that doctor just wrote one and then handed it to you, that would be malpractice, right? So the doctor is going to say, yeah, absolutely, Richard, I can give you that Vicodin. Um, but before I do, I just need to ask you a few questions first, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And that's basically how we preface the conversation around advisory going, look, mate, absolutely, we can do your tax returns and financials. That's like a non-issue. But before yeah. we you know, push forward with that. I just need to ask you a few questions and that drives a much more proactive conversation in terms of like, you know, what were your goals when you first started your business? Have your goals changed since you started? You know, um, you know what's keeping you up at night? And all of these, you know, open-ended questions um, and what you're doing here is basically diagnosing, yeah, mm. in order to prescribe that business mm -hmm. um, with what it, what it may be, you know, a uh, uh, board, you know, uh, par drop parachuting in like a, a chairman of the board type scenario. It could be reporting. It could be like front end systems for their point of sale or their e-commerce site. Um, it could be a whole myriad of things just like medicine. Um, but the, the number one thing is that you've got to first ask the questions before mm -hmm. Diagnosis. Chris, on that, and before when you were talking about you can't just send reports and, and print out the dashboards, you've got to uh, give commentary on that. One of the models that we've developed is the seven layers of value or the value pyramid for accountants and advisors. And there's a sweet spot in the middle that firms have started to call layers three, four, five. So third, fourth, and fifth layers. So it's clarity, then commentary. What does this mean? Actually give the insights. And then accountability. So mm -hmm. actually aiding execution yeah. at the business level. Now, implied in all of that is that you need advisors who are not back office grinders, mm -hmm. number crunches, but you need people who have at least a moderate level of expressiveness and at least a moderate level of assertiveness. So stepping back out to this um, angry, was it an army or horde of angry. young accountants yeah. <laughs> who have this... Um, dissonance between what they thought the profession was going to be like when they came in and what they are experiencing. How is a codex, a codex within the available labor market attracting those who are going to actually have the, the traits and the aptitude be cut from the right cloth to best use the, the incredible data flows that you've got and the data visualization, democratization. Uh, that just makes my propeller cap just almost spin off its head. I love that stuff. But at the end of the day, how you attracting people can actually deliver advisory in that client communication, trust, accountability level. Honestly, just by doing stuff like this, right? So we're not actively soliciting, uh, you know, people from firms. We're not advertising or putting ads in Seek or anything like that. Um, you know, I just publish, you know, my my thoughts um, on on our blog on other other people's blogs uh, in in the media. I talk at conferences. Um, and, you know, I just 
talk about my beliefs about the future for the the profession, uh, like for the accounting profession. And that either resonates with you in in the sense that it's like, yeah, I think, you know, he might be right about this and I believe the same thing too. Maybe I should have a conversation with them um, or it, it doesn't, you know. So we're, we're very passive in terms of, um, you know, bringing these partners into the network because the reality is I think they've always, they've always felt this way um, in, in, the, in the first place um, and it's just that, you know, now I've just kind of, you know, been vocal about it um, and, you know, people people are just, yeah, signing up, I suppose. Yeah, okay, so you're getting out there with your vision and your values and you're just attracting those yeah. who, who relate to that. That's wonderful. Is there any particular background of people coming from uh, certain tiers of firms or sizes or locations? What's the usual type of um, advice you're attracting? Um, so there is definitely like a, you know, an archetype, if you will. Um, and that's why I say angry young accountants is, uh, you know, they are in the sort of later millennial cohort. So you're talking late, late 20s uh, to like late 30s. Um, All of us Gen Xs are angry too, guys. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, and but for different reasons. <laughs> totally valid point, um, I suppose. For whatever reason, that's not the, the the volume of like inquiries that we're getting. Sure. Um, uh, and I mean, we do have the exceptions to this rule, but the vast majority are, are millennials. Um, they are um, yeah, late twenties, late thirties. Um, I would say that they're probably from mid tier, um, but it's again bell curves, right? Um, but I would say the the top one hundred firms. Um, maybe from, you know, 100 to 90, well, number five is the, the main one. Mm. Although we have had uh, a couple from Big Four um, jump ship. But I think the thing with Big Four is that because that work is sort of super specialised, um, it doesn't really gel well with the general practice business services environment um, is the only sort of thing I would uh, disclaim there. Um, and, you know, they're obviously scattered all around the world um, to the point where we have to go, no, sorry, you know, we're not in South Africa yet. No, sorry, we don't want to be in Malaysia just quite yet. Um, so, yeah, like geography is not, uh, not a factor here. Um, they're all sort of CA, CPA, plus five to ten years worth of experience. Um, and they just want, I think, more autonomy over their lives and their careers, right? And the way a codex is structured um, is very conducive to that. So what would a typical day look like then if, if they've um, escaped cubicle nation in a, in a city-based firm and they're now, are they skateboarding down the street wearing, wearing a hoodie and holding a latte? Like just, um, just let's picture it at the average day. Um, so uh, I might just look out my window here. For starters, in terms of our partners based in Adelaide, South Australia, not a single one of his, them is in the office right now, um, which is usually a, a good sign. Um, so they're not quite skateboarding, but um, they're definitely like on site with clients or they're hanging out in, uh, in coffee shops or, or bars, lunching, uh, coffees, drinks, et cetera, et cetera, or on site with clients. Um, Brilliant. You know, so I think the typical day, uh, let's say typical week would comprise, you know, a few hours worth of networking events or just general like lead generation type stuff. So networking, speaking at events, running workshops, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, another part would be, you know, uh, in like sales and qualification. Um, so meeting with prospective customers and, and whatnot. Um, and then, uh, 
you know, the remainder of the work is actually doing doing the job, right, which would be traditionally seen as the, the chargeable work. Um, and that's pretty much what uh, the typical day looks like. I think the big difference here is that our partners set their own times because, you know, they're autonomous human beings. So, like, you want to start work at 12, that's fine. You want to, you know, start work at 6 a.m. in the morning, that's fine too. You want to take three days off in the middle of the week and work on the weekends, that's fine too. Like, as long as, you know, it works with your clients um, and the clients are getting the results that you're espousing, then everything's a-okay, you know, and you can do that from anywhere in the world. Right. And I think that's really the, what's, um, you know, that autonomy is really what's uh, encouraging these guys to join. So, so Chris, getting down to the nitty gritty, because um, all of the amazing progressive accountants who are going to be watching this are going, that's great, sounds cool, I probably want a job there actually. But <laughs> what, what's the advisory advantage that a customer gets at a codex? What services do you offer? And when you've told us how you're changing lives, I want to know, because the accountants watching this are going to want to know, how are you monetizing this? Yep. Um, so... Like the advisory piece is, uh, I suppose, a couple of different layers. So uh, the the first most obvious one is the the reporting, um, which is uh, we lean toward, especially if the the client has come from no business intelligence, we lean heavily toward line in the sand month end reporting um, before we rush into dashboards, right? Because dashboards in accounting are basically useless unless the accounts are clean, right? So we, we have a very sort of rigorous month-end process with all of these clients to make sure that what's being reported in those month-end reports is, is accurate because at the end of the day, we have to put our name to it. Um, so, um, you know, you've got the, the reporting there. Um, with that comes a monthly sit-down meeting, which can go anywhere from two hours to a full day. Face-to-face, Zoom? Um, again, depends on client location. I would say okay. the majority is face-to-face because there's still yep. that sort of, um, you know, geographic closeness, touchy-feel type thing. But, you know, we, we have partners that are servicing clients, you know, overseas and stuff like that. Um, so geography definitely isn't a barrier, but I think proximity is definitely part of the upside, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, those meetings can last from like two hours to kind of full days, um, minimum uh, like monthly um, in terms of uh, the sit-down because you need that. And coming back to that diagnosis question, if you ask a client, your average SMA, how often do you sit down without interruption to review the financial performance of your business, I would hazard that 99% would say uh, never, right? Mm. And that's a problem, yeah? Mm. That's a problem from an internal controls perspective and that's a problem from a a business growth and profitability perspective. So simply by sitting down objectively, you know, with no distractions um, and reviewing the financial performance of the business once a month, Mm -hmm. we can see a a dramatic improvement in terms of cash flow and profitability. Do you use a... Sorry to interrupt, Chris, but do you use a framework to uh, obviously the numbers are a really great kind of foundation for that but do you use a framework like you know have you set goals are there kpis is there a strategic plan because this is the area um obviously i bang on a little bit about in my transform book but i think that's really where you embed that trusted advisor right to walk the corridors of the business angle do you guys get get into the um into the detail like that and and really own the strategy yeah absolutely I, i mean because 
you know, the reporting without context isn't, um, you know, much, exactly. much value. And then mm -hmm. commentary without purpose is, you know, uh, uh, the same, right? So mm -hmm. typically in that pre-qualification stage before the client actually comes on for advisory services, there's a conversation about like, um, you know, what are your goals or where does it hurt, right? Um, and that could be it's it's cash flow, it could be revenue growth, it could be you know GP bleed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so that happens before we've even you know provided the prescription. Um, that obviously sets the context for at least the first twelve months mm. of that uh, of that engagement, um, where we're basically making recommendations. And this is you mentioned accountability before. That's absolutely a core component of this because at the end of the day, it's not my business. It's not you know, I couldn't care less, you know, if the client doesn't take the action on it, right? Because it's not my livelihood that's at stake. So we have to kind of, you know, make sure that we're constantly checking in um, in terms of like making sure that the client or the business owner is doing what we said that we were going to do within the next 30 days. Um, and, you know, then we're checking back on like, how did that work? Did it, mm -hmm. you know, where did it affect performance? And then we're obviously just doing that on a monthly basis, right? So we're checking in with the KPIs, we're then setting new like homework for the next mm -hmm. month, and then we're checking back on that and making sure that we are making progress toward that goal. So you've got a higher touch, lower volume model. You're doing a lot more with your clients than the typical accounting firm out there. Could it be characterized as CFO type level of services? It sounds like it's a little bit more than that because you're stepping out into some of the strategy and framework, depending on how people define what CFO yeah. means. So I'm hearing accountability, conversations, like before when we asked you what's the typical day of an advisor uh, look like, the first three things you mentioned was FaceTime, either with the marketplace, prospects, clients, and team members. So you're having to attract a different ilk of, of um, account, which is brilliant. On the accountability, quick little techie question. Yep. Do you have a shared accountability task list in the cloud somewhere that is updated in real time? Here's what we said we were going to do in the next month. Here's what you're going to do. Or do you just manage it through email? What are your favorite tools between advisor and client? Uh, actually, a new feature that came out from Spotlight just recently. Um, I'm not that was sure. not a paid announcement. <laughs> um, but you should have seen my reaction when that, uh, when that feature was released. Um, like it was probably a little overzealous. Um, so the accountability side is actually uh, one of the reports that we actually surface up um, as part of our like monthly report packs um, is basically just a status update in terms of who's doing what, what's the progress toward that, and then we update that every single month. In terms of the nitty-gritty, in terms of like actions and tasks and that sort of stuff, um, we basically leave that to client side because clients have got their own sort of you know, Trello or Slack or, you know, whatever um, in terms of managing their own, like, projects internally. Um, so typically we've, we've got access to that to make sure that stuff's sort of uh, moving moving forward. Um, but in terms of that, like, line into the sand sort of checking in, that's just included in the management reports. And with the uh, this style of service... How are you going in terms of attracting the SMEs or the MEs um, who are happy to pay for that? You know, what's your value proposition out to the business market that's attracting people who, who want and are willing to pay for high-level business advisory? 
Um, that's a, a really good question. I would say the bulk of the conversation is that they come in for, we say that they come for advise, uh, compliance, but then they stay for advisory. Um, so, you know, we're not really trying to, to put it out there in terms of our external communications um, that, you know, this is what we do and this is what we, we can do. I mean, it's communicated in our, um, you know, in our marketing collateral, but it's not something that we're sort of um, actively, like, uh, in terms of outbound marketing, like, pushing out to drag people in. We've just got this natural gravity. Um, you're you're in- outbound marketing the whole time, aren't you, Chris? Sorry? That, that, that big social presence of yours? Yeah, exactly. Does, um, that, does, that, does that get followers coming and people hear about you and what you're doing? That's ab- absolutely. Um, so I think it's, um, you know, it's... Definitely, I, I said once in an interview that um, I've done at least six figures worth of business through Twitter alone. Um, I, I come from this position that I, I don't believe that, um, that business owners make economic buying decisions, especially at the gradient that we're talking about, which is north of $30,000 a year, um, on, uh, on, on internet marketing or advertising, right? Um, you may plant the seed, but what they're doing is they're, they're viewing the website, they're viewing your LinkedIn, you know, they're doing their due diligence. Um, and that's a really important point in terms of the qualification process is that sort of that research and background checking. So um, I think the most important thing for us was making sure that um, I suppose our presence and our partner's presence online mm-hmm. is exactly what the client wants to see from someone that engage with at that level. So you've got a strong, clear, opinionated, which is a good thing, digital presence, which really is part of marketing. It's not part of traditional marketing, what yeah. probably most firms are doing. Yeah. But uh, that's been a core part. Great. Yeah. So we're not doing like pay-per-click, you know, ads on Google or Facebook or anything like that. We've experimented with it. Um, and generally, I'd say the results have been disappointing um, in that respect. So it's definitely like pool type marketing rather mm-hmm. than push marketing. And if, you, if you're doing good authority building um, work online in terms of social and content articles, you don't need to top the yeah. inbound traffic up with paid traffic if you're already getting it organically yeah and i think that's a really important point mc is that all of our partners are very like tightly niched within a specific like industry segment so if you want to become like the the number one thought leader on accounting for the automotive industry i can guarantee you that there isn't an accountant in australia that's planted a flag in that which means it's it's up for grabs right and then you can work on building your, your relationships with the Motor Trade Association, industry bodies. Exactly. You yourself so that you're talking at their conferences yeah. and publishing in their magazines and their websites and all of that sort of stuff. Beautiful. So that you're the only person that people in that industry actually see when it comes to accounting and finance. Awesome. Yeah, one of our favourite phrases uh, from Herman Simon, inch wide, mile deep. Yep. You know, become a, a, a freaking legend in a pond that's small, not too small. Yep. But a specific pond what, anyway. What, what's really interesting about what you've said, Chris, I've just been sitting here thinking, you know, when I look at, so we deal with over a thousand accounting firms and when you take out the big logo guys, the the guys who are really smashing it, you know, they're getting, they're having the strategic plans done, doing their forecasting, their, their um, mentoring work with clients are ones like you who are getting out there, building a personal brand, but, but showing by your values and who you are that you're a cool person to work with. You know, you're a new dad, you're very um, loyal to Adelaide, you know, you've got the family side too. And, and I think that personal 
um, connection comes through. And, you know, it's not natural for accountants to necessarily do that, but the new generation coming through, I think you're going to find it's just essential that, that the Chris Hoopers and the Steph Hineses, et cetera, are going to become more the norm than the exception. Um, so looking into your crystal ball, I'm, I'm, I'm getting the buzz from the producer that we're, we're <laughs> almost out of time. But looking into your crystal ball, you know, where do you see the profession heading? You said that you always try and stay ahead of the curve. What should we be looking out for in the next five years? In the next five years? Um, I think the one thing that's um, surprised me is actually that the profession is moving slower than any of my models had predicted. Um, so we expected a, a much faster adoption of, uh, of cloud technology. Um, which hasn't sort of uh, hasn't actually come into effect. Um, so in terms of what I expect from the profession across the board is, to be honest with you, not, not a huge amount, right? I think, honestly, in five years' time, we will still be having the, the same conversations that are being had at conferences, espousing the virtues of cloud, of advisory, and all of the stuff that we've been talking about um, to to date, um, I, I think some of the stuff that a codex will be playing in um, in five years time will be much heavier in uh, in terms of uh, blockchain technology. Um, we are dealing with a few sort of technical considerations um, in terms of public ledgers um, that have some pretty profound implications on the accounting profession. So that's where we're trying to keep ahead of the curve. Um, I am like fingers crossing that augmented reality actually becomes a, uh, a larger part of um, just everyday work. Um, so we're kind of looking around the office going, are we going to need these computer screens for much longer? Um, so definitely holding off on the CapEx there. Um, the other thing is I think about, you know, spinning off from that augmented uh, reality thing is that this business intelligence that we're talking about, um, two points on it. The first one is that I think the data or the visualization is actually going to get a little more uh, interactive and uh, like three-dimensional. Yeah. Um, so the ability to actually drill deeper um, into your, your business intelligence, um, or, you know, down to GL level. Sure. Um, you know, that full minority report kind of vision where it's like I've got my, my HoloLens on and then I'm like, you know, zooming in, zooming in, zooming in. Without or, or, or arguably, and I won't say too much, or more predictive looking out and modelling. what. Yeah, well, that was the next part um, that I was going to say in terms of those two things with business right. intelligence is using machine, machine learning to actually dive into that data. Because when you just on a general ledger basis alone, yeah. you... You go through 10 years worth of GL um, and humans can, there's just so much nuance that humans can't really pick up on. Um, so it's really important to us that our partners are delivering a, a very consistent service and outcome for their clients. And that's very difficult to do because one accountant may see something that another accountant might not. Um, machine learning will make sure that, you know, the, the machine itself is actually picking that up across the board. So I'm expecting a little more like, uh, you know, active and dynamic intelligence to actually be produced by, uh, by machines. Um, so I'm really excited to see where that kind of, um, you know, pans out over the next five years. You are indeed a futurist. One last question from me, Chris. Sure. Putting ourselves into the the uh, shoes or maybe the earbuds of the progressive accountants and advisors around the world listening to us now, from a visible behaviour perspective, in terms of a task, an action that they can do differently 
next week, considering that only one in roughly one in 10 accounting firms surveyed through um, benchmarking reports like what you've done, Richard, at Spotlight and what um, Business Fitness in Australia does with the Good, Bad, Ugly. Only one in 10 firms are doing much advisory, but eight, nine out of 10 state they want to. What one thing across either marketing the advisory to attract the right clients in the first place or the sales process to land the engagements or to deliver those better, what's one visible behaviour that a listener can do differently from today, from tomorrow onwards? Ask the, ask the questions, simple as. So either a new prospective client walks in the door um, and instead of just telling them that you can do what they want you to do, ask them questions um, uh, and, and that's it. There should be a standardised process in terms of what questions are being asked because it's part of the diagnosis process, right? Um, so the, the only, you know, the, and it's, it's really easy to implement. Yeah? It's called, um, you know, use a template if you need to. You go into a meeting and you've got a list of questions that you're not allowed to walk out of that meeting without having answered. Done. Brilliant. You know, like that can be implemented tomorrow with no real, uh, no real headaches or anything like that. Humans do advisory at the end of the day. So. Yeah, right. And exactly. I mean, the thing is, you can worry about the technical implications and how you're going to actually deliver on that value proposition, um, like after the fact, right? I, I do think in this profession, we tend to preoccupy ourselves with the 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 framework and the infrastructure and getting all of our ducks in a row in terms of how they're going to deliver this service before we've even got a customer through the door right i suppose um you know i would get a customer first and then you know tank your budget blow your budget massively if you need to because in in, the, in blowing that budget you're going to be building you know infrastructure and capacity mm. so that you know the next client that you get you'll be yeah. able to a little better, a little quicker, uh, and a little more efficiently, you know, the next one. Yeah, you're willing to invest in prototyping those services exactly. up as you go. Yeah, you can't steer a parked car. You can't sit around and think about delivering advisory. You just got to yeah. get in there and do it. It's a good analogy. Good advice. Okay, so uh, Chris, in wrapping up, if there's um, an angry young accountant listening right now that wants to find out more about a codex, what do you suggest is a good next step? Uh, Google, <laughs> just go to Google, type in a codex um, and go through our website. If that stuff resonates with you, um, by all means, just drop us a line. So a codex for those listening, A-C-C-O-D-E-X. That's the one. A, co a codex, wonderful. Thank you, Chris. And Richard, if people want to find out more about how they can uh, use the Spotlight reporting tools to facilitate advisory, what's a good next step yeah, there? Yeah, sure, sure. Come along to spotlightreporting.com. Lots of case studies there. Get your hands on the Transform book, which Mr. Hooper is in. Uh, and lots of other great accountants and um, you know look the, the people in the book and on the website are the future of the industry so um, there's lots of pathfinders there to, for, you to, for you to follow. Cool and my suggestion for next step for from this episode is just to go to Google uh, as Chris suggested but in this case search on the value pyramid for accountants and advisors maybe our practice paradox to the end of it and read the series of articles so you can understand where the opportunities lie for delivering value beyond the real-time data and compliance and start to move into the clarity, commentary, accountability, because that is what, even though they're not asking for it until you educate them, as you said earlier, Chris, they don't know what they don't know. So it's the accountants and advisors role to educate the business market around how they can actually help them predict and create a future. 
All right. Well, thanks so much, Chris, for taking time out of your day to, uh, to be with Richard and I today. No worries. Thanks, guys. And thanks, everyone, for joining us for the very first episode ever of Advisory Advantage. We'll see you again for episode number two. If you've got any questions, uh, let us know. And we'll post the show notes and any links uh, under this episode for you to find out more. Bye for now.